All right, welcome back, everybody. Here's another edition of Two Fat Guys and a Microphone. I'm Bart Nichols. And I'm James Boyd. And we are here in quarantine, just letting everybody know we are following social distancing rules and we are making sure that we are safe as we come together and, and bring you another edition of our podcast. And Bart, first, I, I want to really again just extend thanks to you for you know stopping me from you know injecting disinfectant into my body to hedge against the coronavirus i was really scared and you came in and you you told me that that wasn't science and so i really really thankful for you helping me out making sure i didn't kill myself with lysol that's what i'm here for brother and you know that whole crazy science thing that uh, everybody keeps talking about I think we're going to go that direction and then follow up with it because, honestly, I thought I'd heard everything out of that president. And in the immortal words of Clark W. Griswold, if I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I'd been less surprised than I hearing my president go, you should inject disinfectant into your arm. Just completely wackadoo. So that's where we're at at this point is the completely wackadoo zone. Yeah, and his his whole thing about standing under ultraviolet light and having it go through your skin and I mean we're something something is wrong with this man and not just he's he's trying to get attention. I think he believes what he's saying. And even in the press conferences, his own medical directors and medical you know, staff are telling him no and they're contradicting him and he just doubles down on it. I just I don't know at a time where our country needs leadership the most how we lost out so bad that this is what we get. Well, honestly, (laughs) he doesn't have the ability to do rallies right now. And so the press briefings have just turned into his daily rally to feed his base. And his base buys into that kind of shit. Uh, The idea of, well, this might work. And the idea that social distancing is dumb and the idea that this has been all brought on by the liberal media and that there's nothing to get worried about. Again, it's the whole idea of that crazy science thing. It's a virus. It doesn't care who you are. And I'm a little worried at this point with the opening of states this week, like Georgia, that by the time 4th of July rolls around, we're going to be seeing another resurgence of the virus. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you can't, you can't force a pathogen to go away faster than it's going to go away. And these, these governors that are doing this are feeling pressure from their base and they're feeling pressure from business owners. I mean, the, the, the reality of the situation is lots of people are struggling and they, in their position, are trying to do something to help people out. It's premature at best, and it's short-sighted. You can't just say, go ahead and open up tattoo parlors and bowling alleys and salons, as they've done in Georgia, and expect the curve to stay flat. You know, I, I would love to get another tattoo, but I can wait until the shit blows over. Well, and the whole idea of, okay, open up, but be sure you follow the social distancing guidelines. There was an article out there for a hairstylist in the greater Atlanta area, and they want her to take the temperature of her staff when they come in, take the temperature of the staff or the the people that come in 
for getting their hair done and wear protective clothing and change her protective clothing every time she does work with somebody different. You can't realistically run a business and still follow social distancing guidelines or guidelines from the CDC. What it boils down to is that they're trying to appease their base. I totally get, understand, and sympathize with the fact that many people, 26 million Americans at this point, have lost their jobs and that it's important to get the economy started up. But at what cost? Because if we have a resurgence of this, we're going to be right back where we were before with another stay-at-home order. So it's a catch-22 right now. And there's there's economic case to be made that this could push us into a depression, and, and not the great the recession of two oh oh eight. That was that was an artificially inflated market where the bubble burst. This is something that we haven't seen. I mean, the oldest person in this in the world right now I think is 112 years old. The oldest. There might be a handful of folks that are old enough to have said that they were alive during the Spanish flu in 1918 and 1919. So that means less than 10 people probably in the entire world can even say that they were around when this happened before. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're getting into and we have to have leadership that's going to be rational and think about what the experts are saying, the economic experts, the medical experts, and the people that are out in the field. You know, I'm not opposed to the federal government loosening restrictions and then the states coming in and asserting their 10th amendment powers to say, you know what, thanks big feds, but you know, in Massachusetts, we're gonna we're gonna chill until end of July. In Arizona, it's 125 degrees here. We're pretty sure the virus is dead. We're gonna go back to normal. I am okay with the states then coming in behind the federal government lifting these orders to make their own choices. But to force it prematurely as a political stunt is is just the worst thing that you could do at the worst possible time. Yeah, um, it's honestly. It's this whole idea of driving a conspiracy theory. The media cooked this up. The liberal left cooked this up. Nobody cooked it up. It's a virus. We don't know where it came from. There's conspiracy theories around that. But the fact of the matter is, there is a virus going through this country right now. Like I said earlier, it doesn't give a shit who you are. And the idea of trying to open up the economy and trying to appease your base, but using the rhetoric of well, this is a conspiracy theory and this is a liberal-driven thing. It's just, it's unrealistic. It's only going to keep this thing going on longer, which then perpetuates the cycle of of recession or depression or whatever you want to call it because people can't get back to work. And, And there are people who are struggling. Like legitimately people who, you know, so for instance, um, I know my brother is a guy that works in construction and he's was out of work before the stay at home order because he fell off a roof and, and screwed up his heel and, and his Achilles tendon. And so he was in a boot for six, for eight weeks and could, like, physically couldn't work. And then his wife, my sister-in-law, she works at a daycare facility and there's only nine kids that are, are coming to this daycare now where they had you know 40 or 50 and multiple teachers and they had administrative staff and it was a really big childcare facility and now because of so few kids she's working but not enough and so there are a ton of people like my brother and sister-in-law that are in the gaps that they're not quite unemployed there's some cares act stuff that's out there that's going to help them if they if they qualify 
you know, and that was that was touted as this big blanket. Everybody's going to get it. Everybody's happy. There's very few restrictions, and the more you get into it, and you look at the legislation, it's so particular about who can and who can't, and what the timeline is. And even once you're approved, if you're unemployed, there are people who can't even get into the state systems because they're running off COBOL programming. Yep. They're old. Their mainframes were built in the 70s. They can't handle the influx. So people are getting kicked out of the websites and people aren't able to even start the process to file for unemployment. All of that has downstream effects. And we again, we have leadership on both sides of the aisle that are just sitting on their laurels. They're not doing shit. They're fighting, they're bickering, they're political grandstanding, and they're using this as you know, political bargaining chips in an election year when they need to just pull their heads out of their ass and help the people of this country. Times like this defines what legislators really are all about. And we have ones that are shit. Yeah, it's true. And really, this is hurting lower income Americans in this country. You couple this with the fact that states, many states are trying to slow the expansion of Medicaid. So now, they didn't have health care coverage before. Now when they really need it, they're not going to have health care coverage. And what you're seeing is, I looked at an article today, and they sampled zip codes in New York City and looked at the lower 25% of people with low incomes, and 36% of those people are the ones getting infected and dying from COVID-19. So this is snowballing by the day. It's not just a healthcare crisis right now. It's a global economic healthcare crisis. Yeah, Bloomberg has a, a, a predictive index and a modeling feature that they use to uh, project, project the odds of a recession over the next 12 months. And right now, their model says that within the next 12 months, we are at 100% chance of a recession in our economy. Yeah, Financial modelings are never that absolute. And when they are, every economic indicator that experts built into that profile and that algorithm and that piece of software are saying, we see every single indicator of recession. You are guaranteed to have a recession. What are we going to do to get back on track? You know, if, if we want to be, you know, adults about this, let's, let's call it for what it is. A shit show's on the way. And we're going to have a recession. So let's also be adults. And let's think about our reaction to what we know is coming. My fear is that six months from now, we're going to have 30% unemployment, which is, is right where the Great Depression of the 20s and late 20s or 30s was at about 32%, if, my, if I remember right, was the unemployment numbers back then. We're going to be there, right? There are less manufacturing and factory jobs now than there were 100 years ago. You can't lose your job and then just go down to a factory and make tires or build you know, pallets or make, you know, push carts or whatever. Like, that's not how the world works. You can't just walk into somewhere and say, hey, I lost my job. I'm unemployed. I will take anything that you want. I'll start right now. You could have done that in 1932. Mm -hmm. You can't do that in 2020. We've almost used technology too much and made it impossible for people who don't care what they do right now. All they want to do is pay their bills to be able to get a job. The, the, the gig economy is helping. Like, if I, were, if I were unemployed right now and I had to, I'd drive Uber, I'd drive DoorDash, I'd be Uber Eats Delivery, I'd be Postmates, I'd be Lyft. I would do anything I could with what I have that, that I could 
immediately impact my finances, but even then, you have so many more people that are doing it. You have so many more drivers that are on the road. Granted, more people are ordering things now that are delivered, but the numbers aren't in your favor. True, and you couple that with the fact that most jobs today pay a higher income because of the fact that they're technology-driven, so that they have to go in, they have to interview the right people, they have to have the right skills, and so when that gets taken away, of course we can go out and work Uber Eats or any of those types of things to make money, but we're going to be making significantly less money than before, which just compounds the fact that people don't have enough money to buy food right now. Mm-hmm. And then you add into that a resurgence of COVID-19, and now you're going to have people getting sick and the hospitals being overloaded and people aren't working, and it's just... The current administration is too short-sighted to look past what they're trying to do for their base to get elected. This is the part that bothers me, is that in other times in our history, we put partisan politics aside and we came together for the common good. And that is absolutely not what's happening right now. No, if, 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 if both sides of the aisle were to come together for the common good, single-payer would be discussed. Single-payer health care would be discussed right now. Because to your point, the people who are getting sick are typically on the lower end of, of the income brackets. They're you know, under the poverty level or right there, or people who are underneath the average wage of, what, $51,000 or $52,000 a year as it is adjusted for inflation. Now, those people lose their jobs, and now they don't have health care if they had it before and could afford it, or if they chose to sacrifice other parts of their life and their financial well-being to afford the federally mandated health care. Now they're not going to go to the doctor if they're sick because they don't have a way to pay for it. So they're not going to get tested for COVID. And then it's not, it's not to be, you know, Debbie Downer, but we can't be Pollyanna. We have to be realistic and there will be a snowball effect. You will see downstream implications and impacts because of the inaction of our legislators across the board. And there there are some that are doing good and some that are trying. Not going to say everybody is bad with a broad brush stroke. But when you look at your legislators and what they're doing, they're not just saying, you know what, Let, I'm going to drop the R from in front of my name and you drop the D and you drop the L and you drop the I. Let's come together as humans first. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're still attaching to their party dogmas and the ideologies that are put forth by their parties because they still think that when this is all over, that there still is a need for political party affiliation. That's a whole nother conversation, but you know, why aren't we talking about single pair? Not, not one news article. And I've been researching this shit out of this. I've been following the New York Times tracker for the cases in the US and worldwide. I've been digging deep into this stuff. I am yet to see a consistent news flow and talking points coming from any major media outlet about the benefits of a single pair system right now. If we had it, and instead of finding $3 trillion at the drop of a hat to pay people while they're out of work. Why, wh- where's that money coming from? Why couldn't we have spent $3 trillion on a single-payer healthcare system for the last decade and been ahead of all this shit? Because it's the idea that a single-payer healthcare system to a conservative Republican is, they'll just use the blanket term, democratic socialism, and that's unacceptable to them and they don't believe it's acceptable to their base and they want to get elected so all common sense in this crisis has gone out the window 
because we could have easily in the last eight weeks come together as a nation and pumped out enough ventilators to at least try to tackle the problem. And what do we have right now? We have states competing against each other to buy supplies. So there's no coming together at this point. It's, it's unfortunate, but I don't see it happening. And to me, I wonder how bad is bad enough before we come together? Are we going to have 40% of the people dying in this country? Are we going to have, like you said, 30% of people unemployed before it's enough? I'm not even sure that it is. I think it, the current administration would just watch it burn for the sake of burning. Yeah, yeah it's almost that lose-lose mentality. It's like if I'm going down, I'm taking you with me. You know, I, th- I think it's funny with the hypocrisy of older conservatives, the boomer crowd, that are conservatives that are, are going up and signing up for Medicare, that they're taking their Social Security check every month. They're not, they're not discrediting or discounting that or speaking against it. In fact, they feel entitled to it. You know, there's a lot of talk about how the younger generation, young millennials, Gen Zs, you know, the Gen Zs that were partying on the beaches in Florida on spring yeah. break, you know, that's, that's certainly an entitlement mindset that they have, but they're also young, dumb, and stupid, and their front, prefrontal lobes have, or their frontal lobes have not <laughs> formed, and their prefrontal <laughs> cortex is still small and developing. But the boomers that are conservatives, that, that are proudly claimed they voted for Reagan, they voted for Bushes, they voted for Trump, you know, those, those Trumpers out there are the first ones that are going to tell you, you can't take my Medicare. You can't take my Social Security away from me. Okay, well, if you are so staunchly conservative, then why are you taking social health care and social welfare benefits? There there is no justification in that. And then that's where you see the most pure display of cognitive dissonance among any individual you'll ever encounter is when you ask a boomer who's a conservative and proudly conservative, Trump 2020 flags, Liberty, you know, the Gadsden flag. They are proudly Republican. They wear it on their sleeve every day. You will see them double down on cognitive dissonance when you show them that they are engaging in socialism and social activities that are paid for by everyone else that aren't entitled to them for any reason other than a piece of legislation said so. You will see them talk around it and not own up to the fact that they are participating in socialism. Yeah, and they'll do that and bitch about the fact that health care costs a lot of money, but they don't want to have a conversation about single payer. Yeah. My father-in-law has leukemia. His CML, it's, it's manageable by um, medication. His medication, if he were to pay for it out of pocket, would be $50,000 a year. He gets it through a study from the drug company for free. But he complains, and it's almost this, this hard flex, like, it's 50 grand a year for me to stay alive. It could be free if they're a single payer. You wouldn't have to pay a dime. You wouldn't have to be in a specialty trial from the drug company. You wouldn't have to go through all these hoops and loops and promise that if you were to die while taking the medication as a natural course of your disease and your ailment, that you let the insurance company and the researchers study your body after you die for a short period of time. You wouldn't have to do any of that bullshit if there were a single-payer system. And people would be getting the health care that they need prior to a global pandemic, and we would be better off as a society. Yeah, 
um, you see all this going on, but at the same time, you've got people. I saw a CNN piece the other day, a group of people at a church in Ohio that refused not to go to church came out and they asked a woman, don't you feel like you're putting other people in danger? You're putting yourself in danger? And I quote, she said, I'm not worried about it because I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. Now, I'm all for religion. Whatever you want, go do it. But we're back to the idea that science is science. And I was on the CDC website prior to putting this program together today. One of the things I looked at just out of curiosity for myself is what's the org chart look like for the CDC? There must have been 30 people on that org chart and they all got PhDs or MDs in front of their or at the end of their name. These people know what they're talking about. I applaud the CDC because their site is easy to read. So you don't have to worry that you don't understand what they're talking about for guidelines. But we have people that truly believe the right wing freedom of speech, freedom of, you know, gathering socially, owning guns and being washed in the blood of Jesus. The bottom line is in this situation right now, it's science. We have to believe the science. We have to stop listening to the hype and we got to get through this. Even if, even if Kansas opens up on May 4th, like the current order says, I'm not going to go out there and knowingly get in front of a group of people, you know? No, no way. I'm an older guy. I'm already in, in a, you know, an at-risk category being over 50. I'm not going to knowingly put myself in big groups of people that I don't know, even if the order is lifted. Not until I see this start to go down. And right now, even in Johnson County, the numbers go up every day. I get their email. The cases go up every day. Not by much because it's only one county, but the cases are going up and the deaths are going up. This is still going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that quote that you referenced, it was a CNN interview. And it, what was telling about that interview was just how, how obstinate they were being in, in thinking about their responsibility to slow the spread like if you believe what you believe that's great Mm -hmm. a whole nother conversation could be about if you are religious and you believe in god then god gave us science and immunizations and all these things to help prevent this so you should be listening to what those people say because they are then given that knowledge from god that's a whole nother can of worms we can open later but what was telling about that interview was the lady it was almost how dismissive she was that the the, the, the reporter from CNN would have the, like the gall, you know, quote unquote, to ask that. Because in her mind, she, she's a believer, so she's fine. Well, that's not how pathogens work. And so step back from your religious dogma and say, okay, there's science here that I need to listen to. And her response was, I pulled it up here, I'm covered in Jesus's blood. I got to go to the grocery store every day. They could get me sick. But I'm not, because I'm covered in Jesus' blood. In that interview, they followed up with, well, what about you being sick and giving to other people? And she doubled down. She's like, I'm not. That won't happen. I won't get sick, because I'm covered in Jesus' blood. Okay? Good for you. Well, then stay the fuck at home. Mm-hmm. Stay the fuck at home. Jesus' blood can cover you on your couch just the same as it can in the grocery store. That's exactly right. If you want to go to church and stay at home, 
great. Knock yourself out. Be washed in the blood of Jesus. It's the moment that you decide to go to the store and you get someone infected who then turns around and goes to a gas station and gets someone infected. And then it trickles down to me. And I'm laying at home with COVID-19 wondering how the hell I got it. Well, it's because people are stupid and they don't want to look at the science and look at the data. I mean, good Lord. Here's an article that was looking at Georgia reopening. And they, for the article, looked at a model from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluations, which is predicting that Georgia won't even have its highest death rate until the end of the month of April. So they're still climbing and they're opening up at the same time. What do you think is going to happen? We're just going to double down on more cases. And you may not see them now. You probably will see a dip in May but you get to the 4th of July because this incubates over a period of time and the cases are gonna rise again. They reported last week that a woman in Santa Clara County, California, they believe is the first known death in the United States and not the people in Seattle. And she died in February and was in very good health too. So. We don't know how long this has been here. We don't know how long it takes to incubate. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so crazy. that The people are protesting this kind of stuff. You know, you have, obviously, Kansas City, they protested at the mayor in, in mm-hmm. Kansas City, Missouri. Um, they also protested, from what I understand, in Jefferson City, which is the capital. And then you have worldwide protests, even... even the German right is protesting. And it's a weekly protest for them. It's not like like a bunch of people in Germany showed up one day and was like, hey, reopen the borders. We want to eat our schnitzel and go back to work and eat our pretzels. No, they are protesting weekly. And the German right scares the shit out of me more than the right in the U.S. In the right wing here in the U.S., you've got crazy fucks who are out in the middle of nowhere with you know off-the-grid cabins with no running water and no toilets and they're they're shooting bears and they're eating bears and they're they're like totally thinking that you know they can they can stop a predator from dropping a bomb on them or shooting a missile at them with their AR-15. That's the that's the right wing in the U.S. In Germany, that still have underlying ties and tones to fascism and Nazism, and when they come out of the woodwork and start protesting, that's bad news. That's bad news. I don't know if it's going to do anything in the next month, six months, but it's emboldening these people to get together in mass, to share their ideologies, and to reinforce it, to be that echo chamber for one another, to bring their bullshit ideas to the forefront. Yep. When, when the Germans are protesting, that's a, that's a problem. That's well, a problem. Well, yeah, and honestly, that's the direction that the far right's starting to head in this country. Um, nobody... If there was a far-right person sitting with us right now and I said to him or her, what you guys are doing is, is fascism, what Donald Trump is doing is fascism, they'd freak out because the most famous case of fascism, obviously, is Hitler's Nazi Germany. But when you look at the tenets of fascism, that's the direction that we're headed right now. So they take opportunities. Like I saw footage from the protest at the Capitol in Michigan, and not only were they out there protesting getting back to work, but they're all carrying assault rifles at the same time because it's a platform for them to put their ideology out there of an unlimited Second Amendment. I'm not anti-Second Amendment, but 
I don't understand why you would take this opportunity to not only go out there and get more people infected, but also to tote your guns around to try to make your point. It's gravitating towards socialism, or excuse me, toward fascism, and it's not good. No, and, and the, the, the problem here is you have people who are being loud and obnoxious, and they're the ones that are getting airtime. By and large, the people in this country believe and understand what's at stake. But the ones that are the, are the ones that are, are swaying public opinion are the ones that are out there with their guns. And that's who the politicians in each state are listening to. And for, the, for those of us that are like, you know what, I'm just going to chill. Like, my fridge is full. I got food in the freezer. Like, I've got dry goods, non-perishable goods. I'm good. We are the ones that ultimately are going to have to figure out how do we combat this from our homes. How do we do this? How do we get together and have a unified voice against what we see as problems in handling this pandemic without getting together and seeing one another? Zoom is a a great way to do it, but what do we do? Do we use social media? Do we have social distancing meetings where you get together in a park that's not closed down and you stand eight feet away, 10 feet away, Mm -hmm. have a megaphone and a, a Bluetooth speaker and a microphone and talk? Like, How do we do it? Without looking like nut jobs ourselves. Well, no, it's not impossible to do. Last weekend, um, we were invited to a social distancing happy hour with the group of people that we hang out with, have hung out with for a while, and all of us have been obeying the stay-at-home order. But we made sure that we all sat a distance away from each other and we're trying to follow the guidelines. If you don't follow the guidelines, this thing is not going to be mitigated in any fashion. That's because right now we're running out of time before the fall hits and the normal flu season picks up. If we can't get this knocked back, we're just going to have this resurgence decline, resurgence decline, and now we're in October and now we're in flu season and now you're going to have to deal with regular influenza and COVID-19 and we still don't have a vaccine for it yet. So there's no guarantees this is going away anytime soon unless people get serious about it and stay the fuck home. Yeah. I, I don't know, if I'm being honest with you, I don't know if Biden would have handled this any differently than Trump. You, you've seen the gaffes that he's done in, in political rallies and things. I mean, he was trying to, to quote the Declaration of Independence and say, you know, that we've been endowed by our creator with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he said, we've been endowed with, well, um, um, well, you know the rest. Like he had a mental gap on stage. Again, it goes back to what we've talked about before. How old is too old to be in charge of this country? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it sets up what is going to be arguably the weirdest, toughest election that's ever happened because... We don't know what we're going to be like in November. And if it's still going on in November, you're going to drive people away from the polls and you're going to have people that want to mail in absentee ballots. And then you're going to have governors and congressmen and congresswomen in state legislatures that want to make sure that their party gets in that try to suppress the voters. I mean, Brian Kemp in Georgia is a great example. He was Secretary of State when he ran for governor in Georgia, and he refused to leave that post. He had huge sway over how the election went, how districts were drawn up, how ballots were counted, and he did nothing about that. So, yeah, you couple the fact that 
Joe Biden. There's a reason why they call him Sleepy Joe, because I think at some points in time, he's just not there, and then he snaps back into place. Well, even Biden this week was saying that that was kind of fueling the conspiracy that Trump isn't going to accept the results of the election in November. He, he was saying that he thinks that Trump is going to try to delay the election because of the pandemic and that he's not going to let the election in November happen. You know, you and I off the air have talked about many times how, you know, what are the scenarios in which Trump is not satisfied with the outcome of the election and he tries to just say, no, I'm not leaving. Well, if you're Trump, you've been given this opportunity to do that on a silver platter. Yeah. Um, you know, the Constitution doesn't give him that power with the election, but he can just sit there and go, this was tampered with by the Russians, and it's not a legal result from an election, and so I'm just going to stay in power until we figure it out. And then they're going to take their sweet time. It's no different than Mitch McConnell deciding that he didn't want to vet and look at Merrick Garland for Supreme Court when Obama was in. They just decided they were going to do it a different way. And I, I worry that that's going to be the case this time around. And then you're going to see this go from partisan politics to violent partisan politics because now you're going to have many disenfranchised people on one side and many people that are stoked even more by the fact that their president is doing this and there's going to be violence and it's it's just going to make a bad situation worse yeah you're going to see the militia wing of trump's base come out and then you're also going to see the antifa wing of the far left come out you're going to see them fighting in the streets again and violence is not the answer no it's not but they you with the age of social media and going viral and getting the video and getting the tweets and getting the clicks, people are more concerned with their 15 minutes of social media fame than being rational, thoughtful adults and human beings. So we're going to see this boil over. You're absolutely right. Like There will be times where people just rumble in the streets. And did you see that the, the protest this week? I think it was in... So Arkansas, maybe, where the nurse came, just one single nurse in yep. scrubs with the mask, came as a counter-protest. And people, Trump, Trump supporters, were screaming in her face for hours on end. She didn't move. She didn't say anything. She didn't touch anybody. She didn't threaten anybody. She just showed up to be like, look, I am the person that you're protesting right now. I'm the person that you're saying isn't doing their job and doesn't matter. So I'm here to show you that this is what this is how I am every day. This is what I wear to work. This is what I'm doing for you and your family. And the kicker is, again, this is where the hypocrisy of the right comes out. If those individuals got COVID, they're going to want that nurse to take care of her. That's right. They're going to want that nurse to bend over backwards and accommodate every need, take care of every ache and pain, be there on schedule, regardless of how many other patients are taken care of, to give them medication and to help them through it. But in that moment, you showed how shallow they are and how little regard they have for others by belittling somebody who's literally out there saving lives. What are you doing? You have a here's my balls moment with your AR-15 over your back and you're marching because it's your freedom and someone's going to take you away. Get over yourself. Thank that nurse. You should have bought that nurse lunch. 
Every single person there should have just gone and bought food and set it at her feet. Said, thank you very much for what you do. They're as important as military members are right now. Oh, They're more important. Not not that the military is not important, but right now, I need a nurse more than I need a soldier in uniform. Yeah. And you're absolutely correct. When these people come down with COVID-19, they'll be begging somebody at a hospital to treat their loved one who is having difficulty breathing and... The way I see this right now... Arizona is where it happens. Oh, okay. Go figure, right? Arizona. But the way I see this right now, all these different things that we're talking about, this crisis with COVID-19, what it means for healthcare, what it means if we open up states too early, the unemployment right now, nobody's looking at all of these as interconnected pieces and what happens if we continue to kick the can down the road like we're doing right now. Everybody's got these things siloed. Oh, well, healthcare, we're going to have to talk about healthcare when this is all over. And by the way, we want to get rid of the ACA. That's just their, their big thing. If we don't look at all these pieces together, there's no way that we can come up with a solution for this. And, and it's, it simply will continue to snowball. And it'll be a tipping point at a certain point. Yeah. And I've said this for years. You take away enough things from people and you make the situation bad enough, they will turn into animals on each other. And that's the thing that worries me. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but people are going to get violent. They're going to get violent over the political system. They're going to get violent over lack of health care. They're going to get violent over lack of jobs. Yeah. And, then, and then what happens? You know, Is this his plan all along, Trump's, so that he can just take over? Now, there's another conspiracy theory for you. I guess if you go, if you go down that conspiracy theory rabbit hole, there are people that have been saying for years that there is a global government that wants upheaval and chaos so they can just do martial law and take everything the fuck over. And then you do have your fascist state, right? It, it's it's, it's freaking Handmaid's Tale, man. All oh, over again. I know. I know. <laughs> so it just made me think of that movie, So I Married an Axe Murderer with Mike Myers, yes, and how his dad yes. was like, there's a secret tribunal called the Pentaminate. <laughs> It's got the Gettys, it's got the Rothschilds, and it's got Colonel Sanders before he went tits up. <laughs> that's yeah. what we have. There's your conspiracy theory, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Pentaveret that's, that's driving all of this. That's, that's the official two fat guys in a microphone that's right. conspiracy that's right. for COVID-19. I'm pretty sure that there's an addictive chemical in Kentucky Fried Chicken that makes me crave after it daily. It's called crack, dude. <laughs> That's why they're eleven secret herbs. And I know spices. secret herbs One and of spices. Them is crack. Uh, so I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think you know, even when you see you know this this nurse in Arizona, that people were in her face, like six inches from her face, waving flags, speaking down to her, cussing her out, telling her she was nothing, degrading her. And granted, if people got too close, she would ask them to step back. But she wasn't baiting them, and she wasn't going after them. And they're they're. They're heroes because they're doing this knowing full well that they're putting themselves mm-hmm. at risk. Like police officers. They know they can get shot. Sure. I want to give a shout out to my sister, Amy Nichols. She's an addiction recovery coach. And she gets up every day and puts a mask on and goes to the hospital where she works because she's dedicated to her profession. And this is just what you do. Yes. This is what you do. People step up. And that's what I think we're missing right now is more people that are willing to step up put their 
feelings aside, make sacrifices for the greater good. Drop the hubris and the bravado and be like, mm-hmm. you know what? You're a human. I'm a human. How can I help? Yeah. You know, and that's, I think those are powerful words in a situation like this is how can I help? Because people, if they need help, they'll be like, you can do X, Y, Z. I can't. Especially if you know somebody that's old and that shouldn't be out, send them a text, give them a call, see what their grocery list is. Go out. Be a good person. Don't be a douche. Be a good person. Because for, for many of those older Americans, certainly the ones that are in their 80s, they were part of the greatest generation. They yeah. put their differences aside yeah. because it was a life or death situation. And people aren't seeing this as a life or death situation. It's a virus. It could mutate. And now all of a sudden, cases are tripling daily. We don't know because we're not there yet. We have to be willing to live up to that standard of the greatest generation, which is we have to do what we have to do so that we can win this and survive this. Yeah, it's like after 9-11. Mm-hmm. You know, when, you know, everybody remembers where they were. And I was at Kansas State University. I was in my apartment getting ready for class. I had a psychology class at 9 o'clock in the morning. I got up, turned on the TV. Not three minutes after I turned on the TV, the second plane hit. Like, I mean, I, I watched it in real time. Mm-hmm. The second plane hit the second tower and the fireball and all of it, right? After 9-11, there, it wasn't... You're bald, I'm not. You're fat, I'm skinny. You're black, I'm white. It was, holy fucking shit, there's a bigger enemy than what, whatever could come between us. Why aren't we seeing this pandemic as that, that bigger enemy that we have to come together to fight? World War II, Hitler was the bigger enemy. No, there was a lot of shit that happened after everybody got back and Hitler was gone. Well, and then another conspiracy theory, he died in Argentina, right? Like, you could follow that rabbit hole too. But... What is it going to take for us collectively to pull our heads out of our asses and be like, you know what, this is bigger than any difference that you or I have. It's bigger than the type of car I drive. It's bigger than what zip code my house is in. It's bigger than what schools our kids go to. It's bigger than how much money we make. What is it going to take other than literally the people that are closest and nearest dearest to you dying Because without a sense of loss, there is no fear. And people really, they've lost the ability to go to a park. They've lost the ability to go eat dinner at a restaurant with their spouse. They've lost the ability to go watch a blockbuster summer movie released on its opening night in a movie theater. But what have we really lost that creates that fear, that creates the resolve to come together as a a society? Sadly, we haven't lost enough. And we could nip this in the bud if we wanted to, but people are so stuck on what they believe that it's going to take a higher body count before people really come together and go, oh, holy shit, this thing is for real. Because I saw somebody on the news the other day. Well, 50,000 people died last year from influenza. Yeah, that's probably right. But guess what? We don't have a vaccine for this. We have a vaccine for influenza. We all get it every year. Yeah, and those people, 55,000 people have died in three months with this. It's like a 3.2 to 1 infection rate. Where the the, the flu is like 1.4. So so 10 infections down the road with the flu, 14 people have been affected. At 3.4, 10 
10 infections down the road, 59,000 people have been infected. Well, now they're now it's messing with the food supply because COVID-19 is breaking yeah. out in pork processing facilities, beef, beef processing facilities. facilities. Is that not enough for you? Because you're sitting in the middle of Western Kansas and you're going, well, it's not going to affect us. This is Western Kansas. It only happens in New York City. Well, guess what? Happening in fucking Dodge City, Kansas right now at the beef processing plant. I read an article that they're having to kill chickens because there's at Mm -hmm. the growers, you know, the the hothouse, those bro chickens, they grow in like nine weeks, eight weeks. They grow from a chick to what comes on your dinner plate, right? When you eat, you get fajitas at a restaurant, it took that, that thing was less than three months old before it died. They're having to kill those chickens before they make it to the processing centers because there are so many, so few people to process the chicken that they can't keep up mm-hmm. with the demand. So you're gonna see a, a run on poultry. You're already starting to see pork. Like my youngest son works at a, at a grocery store at Hy-Vee and he's like, he's like, pork is gone. He's like, it comes in, it's out. Like, we sell out of pork every single day. It's dirt cheap because there's an excess supply, but there's still going to be a run on it. There's going to be a run on beef. Don't count on your well, supermarkets sure. and traditional distribution systems and supply chains to give you your food. If you know a local farmer, call them. Yeah. Like, dude, what do you got in your freezer and how can I buy it? And what people don't realize is it's not that there aren't any pigs or cows or chickens out there. We can't process them. Yeah. I talked to a farmer up in Iowa that I regularly work with, and he knows somebody down the road who can't afford to buy grain at this point because he can't get anybody to buy his hogs. He's going to have to turn out most of his hogs into his fields just so they have something to eat, which is last year's corn stalks. Yeah. So people just don't get it you know if you don't stop this virus you can't put people back to work at the smithfield plant in sioux falls south dakota which handles five percent of the nation's pork processing i mean we're talking about billions of pounds of pork a year are processed in this country mm -hmm. and five percent of billions of pounds is still a shitload of pork Mm -hmm. it's not like one plant is like oh it's inconsequential no that's huge that's huge yeah, I mean, you can definitely support your local businesses. Um, we go to a place in DeSoto, Kansas for fresh meat. And I suppose if I wanted to go there and at this point get somebody to butcher half a cow for me, I could have that done. But you're not going to find it in the store after a while. And what you're going to find is the people that have capacity to process, their, their, their price per pound on the hoof is going to go up. You know, there's there's places around here right now where it's 65, 70, 80, 85 cents a pound. Like, live weight, that's going to go up. That's going to go up. I mean, it's going to cost you what's now cost you six or 700 bucks. If this continues, that same cow with the same weight from the same processor, it's going to cost you 1500 to two grand to process it. You know, but if, if you got the money and you got to eat, you know, Grocery stores scare me right now because I don't think people give a shit in grocery stores. No. You know, it's like Costco. We went to Costco this weekend to pick up some uh, some staples and we had to visit the pharmacy and, and such. And they they have this very orderly process to get you in. It's like, you know, it's basically like what, when you were young and you went to the bars and there was a line and it was one in, one out. Like, that's what they're doing. You know, if, if 10 people walk out, they let 10 people in. Mm-hmm. Another five people walk out, five more people or, or pairs of people because you're going to have two people per membership go in. But once you get in, it's a free-for-all. Once you get in, there's no social distancing. 
You know, the people go wherever, they cut you off, they jump around. It's, it's a normal shopping experience. We're going to find that not having better controls in those types of environments is aiding the spread of this. Even though it's flat, you're going to see when, when all this is over and they do the studies and they, they look through all the data, you're going to see that the responses inside businesses that were deemed essential and allowed to stay open helped prevent this going away sooner than it did. Mm-hmm. And this is all about common sense at this point. If you're listening to this podcast, I don't care whether you like us or you think Thank we're full of Thank you for listening. Subscribe on the link below. <laughs> but if you have common sense, for God's sake, go to the CDC website and pay attention to it. And here's the challenge I'll put out to you. If you believe that the doctor you have currently is educated and knows what he or she is doing and is looking out for your best interest, guess what? The same kind of people are working at the Center for Disease Control. It's not run by the left. It is a group of medical professionals trying to figure things out. And I can tell you from looking at my phone right now, the section on how to protect yourself, even a knucklehead like me can read through the bullet points on how to protect yourself. It's not like you have to have a background in medical terminology to read a bullet point that says, and I quote, the best way to prevent illness is to avoid being exposed to the virus. No fucking shit. But that's why I like the CDC website. There's things that you can do to look at it. There's things that you can do to contain it and be at home and social distancing and taking care of yourself and then trusting in your healthcare professionals. Yeah, the Hippocratic Oath starts by first do no harm. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's what every single medical professional, they, they, they recite that. It's like the Pledge of Allegiance, right? In order to get where you're going as a doctor or health professional, you say that and you agree to it. I mean, it's an oath for a reason. It's not a thing that you recite to get your degree. Oaths are, are deeper. There's something visceral about an oath when you take it. The oath of office, you know, those that are in the military, you know this. When you take that oath to protect mm-hmm. and defend the Constitution of the United States from all enemies, foreign and domestic, it's not just something you're like, okay, now I can just go and I can go shoot people. You're like, damn, like, I got to up my game and I have to be on my shit because mm-hmm. I made a promise to posterity to help future generations by taking care and handling shit. Now, doctors are no different. Yeah. And, it's just and those, your, it's literally your life they're promising to, to do their best to save and to not harm you. And when you take an oath like that, you're promising that you're going to set your own things aside for the common good. Yeah. That's what we need more of. People need to recognize that if you just set a little bit aside for the common good, we could probably have a handle on this in six months if we would just pay fucking attention to common sense, listen to the CDC, let them do their jobs. I can't imagine working at some place as intense as the CDC if you weren't seriously fucking passionate about diseases and viruses and wanting to cure them and wanting to figure them out. These people are working 24 hours a day right now to try to figure this out. And, and because of their efforts and other world health organizations, the WHO and other countries, CDC-like agencies, we are starting to make real progress but we can't jump the gun we can't jump the shark so to speak and get out there and go back to doing what we did in november in october last fall last spring last summer we've got to sit and wait and if we all do that everyone's going to be better off now the 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 flip side of this argument 
is fuck it, open it all up and call the herd, right? Let the, let the dumbasses go out there and get be dumbasses and get it and get sick. And then there's less stupid people for the rest of us who give a shit to worry about. But that's really just a horrible way to look at it. It is a horrible way to look at it. And but damn, like, what's the alternative? I know. And you can talk about thinning the herd with this whole thing, but it's just, it's not the way to go. It's the easy fix. That's the thing that really pisses me off, is that everybody's looking for the easy fix. There's an easy fix. I don't want to be interrupted from going out to dinner. I don't want to be interrupted from going to the grocery store. These are first world problems. And I can't even imagine living in a third world country right now that is also being ravaged by COVID-19. We just need to all get on the same page that we need to make some sacrifices and we need to get this shit knocked out. Well, think about what we're experiencing with this. And then think about people in like Syria, right? Russia, the US, NATO, our coalitions have been bombing the shit out of Assad's regime for the better part of, of half a decade, consistently bringing it to rubble. Those people are experiencing a hundred times more of the lack of control than we are. And we can't get it together for six months. We can't pull our shit together. Nobody's bombing us. There aren't men driving down the streets with 50 cows in the back of old Toyota pickups that are shooting at us because they think we're the enemy. Yes, we've been inconvenienced. And does it suck? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But could it be a lot fucking worse? Holy shit, yes. This yeah. is, again, where American privilege... Like, I, I thought other people from other countries were, were, were inflating how we think about ourselves. But this comes back to American privilege. We're Americans. We do what we want, when we want, and my government ain't gonna tell me nothing. Well, God damn it. Like, just suck it up. If we can get through August and everybody follows social distancing guidelines and we, we're smart about when we go out and how we're interacting with others and what we're doing, this will pass. It's going to take another 8 to 12 months to get a vaccine. But at oh, least if we sure. find things that are effective at reducing the symptoms if you get sick. And I've been reading some things about genetic, um, genetic markers for this. Because as more people are getting sick, different things are happening in conjunction with this and geneticists are going crazy right now and they're starting to map sequences based off your genome to see how this will impact or affect you there are young people under the age of 30 who get this and they have strokes as a side effect and they die because they have hemorrhaging in the bl- their brain because of the stroke but it was brought on because of covid 19 why so geneticists are going in and looking at what's the correlation. Is correlation and causality, does it mean what we think it means? Or are they, are they there? Do they correlate, but they're not the cause? And so our genetic scientists that, are se- that have been sequencing the genome for 25 years are really going in to look at this so they can then draw blood and look at your genomes to see what the best treatment is. So you have all of these people doing so many great things And literally all they're asking us to do is sit in your house, watch Netflix, and get fat. Mm -hmm. Like, that's it. I know. Put on your quarantine 15. Watch the Tiger King 100 times. Watch whatever it is that you want to watch. And just chill. 
Like, this is the funny thing also. Everybody's like, man, I would love to just be able to sit at home and not do shit for a month. And now we're 36 days in and people are going batshit crazy. Like, this is the vacation you wanted. This is the reprieve you wanted. This is the, the stop that you were asking for. And now it's not good enough. That's because we're the country of I can do whatever I want when I want. And now you can't. Um, but you can you can go to the grocery store. Well, yeah, you yeah. can. You can. But the thing most people aren't paying attention to is that in terms of understanding COVID-19, we're just at the tip of the iceberg. Oh, absolutely. And there's so many other things that we need to learn about it. And folks, the clock's ticking. We got about six months until cold and flu season hits. And you're only weakening your immune system at that point and leaving it more susceptible to COVID-19 if you don't take the precautions now and just say to yourself, okay, there's a big fucking chance that I'm not going to have the summer I want. I'm right there with you because right now I'm not sure we're going on vacation August 1st. And you know what? If this is still going on, even if they say I can go fly to Michigan where I'm going to go on vacation, I'm not going out and putting myself in front of other people that I don't know and where they've been. Yeah, I mean, this is, this has caused me to miss out on a bucket list band that I've wanted to see since 1994, when I heard Pearl Jam 10. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting, had tickets there, just amazing tickets in St. Louis. My wife and I were gonna take a road trip, and then quarantine hit. April 16th, Zach Brown Band, Amos Lee, in Kansas City, in the Sprint Center. It's gonna be a phenomenal show, missing it. I mean, I get it. We get it. Everybody gets it. Just don't be a dumbass. Yep. Use your common sense. Yep. Oh, that looks like a good way to end this. Don't be Don't a dumbass. Don't be ass. a dumbass. <laughs> so you have survived another edition of Two, Two Fat, Fat Guys, Guys and a Microphone. microphone. See you soon. Bye.